The manager of a fruit and vegetable shop places in his window, among the onions and the carrots, the slogan, Workers of the world, unite! Why does he do it? What is he trying to communicate to the world? Is he genuinely enthusiastic about the idea of unity among the workers of the world? Is his enthusiasm so great that he feels an irrepressible impulse to acquaint the public with his ideals? Has he really given more than a moment's thought to how such a unification might occur and what it would mean? I think it can safely be assumed that the overwhelming majority of shopkeepers never think about the slogans they put in their windows, nor do they use them to express their real opinions. That poster was delivered to our greengrocer from the Enterprise headquarters along with the onions and carrots. He put them all into the window simply because it has been done that way for years, because everyone does it, and because that is the way it has to be. If he were to refuse, there could be trouble. He could be reproached for not having the proper decoration in his window. Someone might even accuse him of disloyalty. He does it because these things must be done if one is to get along in life. It is one of those thousands of details that guarantee him a relatively tranquil life, quote, in harmony with society, end quote, as they say. Obviously, the greengrocer is indifferent to the semantic content of the slogan on exhibit. He does not put the slogan in his window from any personal desire to acquaint the public with the ideal it expresses. This, of course, does not mean that his action has no motive or significance at all, or that the slogan communicates nothing to anyone. The slogan is really a sign, and as such, it contains a subliminal but very definite message. Verbally, it might be expressed this way. I, the greengrocer, live here and I know what I must do. I behave in the manner expected of me. I can be depended upon and am beyond reproach. I am obedient, and therefore I have the right to be left in peace. This message, of course, has an addressee. It is directed above, to the greengrocer's superior, and at the same time, it is a shield that protects the greengrocer from potential informers. The slogan's real meaning, therefore, is rooted firmly in the greengrocer's existence. It reflects his vital interests. But what are those vital interests? Let us take note. If the greengrocer had been instructed to display the slogan, I am afraid, and therefore unquestioningly obedient, he would not be nearly as indifferent to its semantics, even though the statement would reflect the truth. The greengrocer would be embarrassed and ashamed to put an unequivocal statement of his own degradation in the shop window, and quite naturally so, for he is a human being and thus has a sense of his own dignity. To overcome this complication, his expression of loyalty must take the form of a sign which, at least on its textual surface, indicates a level of disinterested conviction. It must allow the greengrocer to say, what's wrong with the workers of the world uniting? Thus, the sign helps the greengrocer to conceal from himself the low foundations of his obedience, at the same time concealing the low foundations of power. It hides them behind the facade of something high, and that something is ideology. 
Ideology is a specious way of relating to the world. It offers human beings the illusion of, of an identity, of dignity, and of morality while making it easier for them to part with them. As the repository of something suprapersonal and objective, it enables people to deceive their conscience and conceal their true position and their inglorious modus vivendi, both from the world and from themselves. It is a very pragmatic, but at the same time, an apparently dignified way of legitimizing what is above, below, and on either side. It is directed toward people and toward God. It is a veil behind which human beings can hide their own fallen existence, their trivialization, and their adaptation to the status quo. It is an excuse that everyone can use, from the greengrocer who conceals his fear of losing his job behind an alleged interest in the unification of the workers of the world, to the highest functionary whose interest in staying in power can be cloaked in phrases about service to the working class. The primary excusatory function of ideology, therefore, is to provide people both as victims and pillars of the post-totalitarian system with the illusion that the system is in harmony with the human order and the order of the universe. We have seen that the real meaning of the Greengrocer's slogan has nothing to do with what the text of the slogan actually says. Even so, this real meaning is quite clear and generally comprehensible because the code is so familiar. The Greengrocer declares his loyalty, and he can do no other if his declaration is to be accepted, in the only way the regime is capable of hearing. That is, by accepting the prescribed ritual, by accepting appearances as reality, by accepting the given rules of the game. In doing so, however, he has himself become a player in the game, thus making it possible for the game to go on, for it to exist in the first place. Why, in fact, did our green grocer have to put his loyalty on display in the shop window? Had he not already displayed it sufficiently in various internal or semi-public ways, at trade union meetings, after all, he had always voted as he should. He had always taken part in various competitions. He voted in elections like a good citizen. He had even signed the anti-charter. Why, on top of all of that, should he have to declare his loyalty publicly? After all, the people who walk past his window will certainly not stop to read that. In the greengrocer's opinion, the world of the workers ought to unite. The fact of the matter is, they don't read the slogan at all, and it can be fairly assumed that they don't even see it. If you were to ask a woman who had stopped in front of his shop what she saw in the window, she could certainly tell whether or not they had tomatoes today. But it is highly unlikely that she noticed the slogan at all, let alone what it said. It seems senseless to require the greengrocer to declare his loyalty publicly, but it makes sense nevertheless. People ignore his slogan, but they do so because such slogans are also found in other shop windows, on lampposts, bulletin boards, in apartment windows, and on buildings. They are everywhere, in fact. They form part of the panorama of everyday life. Of course, while they ignore the details, people are very aware of that panorama as a whole. And what else is the greengrocer slogan but a small component in that huge backdrop to daily life? The greengrocer had to put the slogan in his window, therefore, not in hope 
that someone might read it or be persuaded by it, but to contribute along with the thousands of other slogans to the panorama that everyone is very much aware of. This panorama, of course, has a subliminal meaning as well. It reminds people where they are living and what is expected of them. It tells them what everyone else is doing and indicates to them what they must do as well. If they don't want to be excluded, to fall into isolation, alienate themselves from society, break the rules of the game, and risk the loss of their peace and tranquility and security. The woman who ignored the greengrocer's slogan may well have hung a similar slogan just an hour before in the corridor of the office where she works. She did it more or less without thinking, just as our greengrocer did, and she could do so precisely because she was doing it against the background of the general panorama, and with some awareness of it, that is, against the background of the panorama of which the greengrocer's shop window forms a part. When the greengrocer visits her office, he will not notice her slogan either, just as she failed to notice his. Nevertheless, their slogans are mutually dependent. Both were displayed with some awareness of the general general panorama. Both, however, assist in the creation of that panorama. The greengrocer and the office worker have both adapted to the conditions in which they live, but in doing so, they help to create those conditions. They do what is done, what is to be done, what must be done, but at the same time, by that very token, they confirm that it must be done in fact. They conform to a particular requirement, and in doing so, they themselves perpetuate that requirement. Metaphysically speaking, without the greengrocer's slogan, the office worker's slogan could not exist, and vice versa. Each proposes to the other that something be repeated, and each accepts the other's proposal. Their mutual indifference to each other's slogan is only an illusion. In reality, by exhibiting their slogans, each compels the other to accept the rules of the game and to confirm thereby the power that requires the slogans in the first place. Quite simply, each helps the other to be obedient. Both are objects in a system of control, but at the same time, they are its subjects as well. They are both victims of the system and its instruments. If an entire district town is plastered with slogans that no one reads, it is on the one hand a message from the district secretary to the regional secretary, but it is also something more, a small example of the principle of social autototality at work. Part of the essence of the post-totalitarian system is that it draws everyone into its sphere of power, not so that they may realize themselves as human beings, but so that They may surrender their human identity in favor of the identity of the system. That is, so they may become agents of the system's general automatism and servants of its self-determined goals. So they may participate in the common responsibility for it. So they may be pulled into it and ensnared by it. More than this, so they may create, through their involvement, a general norm and thus bring pressure to bear on their fellow citizens. And further so they may learn to be comfortable with their involvement, to identify with it as though it were something natural and inevitable, and ultimately, so they may, with no external urging, come to treat any non-involvement as an abnormality, as arrogance, as an attack on themselves, as a form of dropping out of society. 
by pulling everyone into its power structure. The post-totalitarian system makes everyone an instrument of a mutual totality. The auto-totality of society. Everyone, however, is in fact involved and enslaved. Not only the greengrocers, but also the prime ministers. Differing positions in the hierarchy merely establish differing degrees of involvement. The greengrocer is involved only to a minor extent, but he also has very little power. The prime minister, naturally, has greater power, but in return he is far more deeply involved. Both, however, are unfree, each merely in a somewhat different way. The real accomplice in this involvement, therefore, is not another person, but the system itself. Let us now imagine that one day something in our greengrocer snaps, and he stops putting up the slogans merely to ingratiate himself. He stops voting in elections he knows are a farce. He begins to say what he really thinks at political meetings, and he even finds the strength in himself to express solidarity with those whom his conscience commands him to support. In this revolt, the greengrocer steps out of living within the lie. He rejects the ritual and breaks the rules of the game. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His revolt is an attempt to live within the truth. The bill is not long in coming. He will be relieved of his post as manager of the shop and transferred to the warehouse. His pay will be reduced. His hopes for a holiday in Bulgaria will evaporate. His children's access to higher education will be threatened. His superiors will harass him and his fellow workers will wonder about him. Most of those who apply these sanctions, however, will not do so from any authentic inner conviction, but simply under pressure from conditions, the same conditions that once pressured the greengrocer to display the official slogans. They will persecute the greengrocer, either because it is expected of them or to demonstrate their loyalty or simply as part of the general panorama, to which belongs an awareness that this is how situations of this sort are dealt with. That is, in fact, is how things are always done, particularly if one is not to become suspect oneself. The executors, therefore, behave essentially like everyone else, to a greater or lesser degree, as components of the post-totalitarian system, as agents of its automatism, as petty instruments of the social auto-totality. Thus the power structure, through the agency of those who carry out the sanctions, those anonymous components of the system, will spew the greengrocer from its mouth. The system, through its alienating presence in people, will punish him for his rebellion. It must do so because the logic of its automatism and self-defense dictate it. The greengrocer has not committed a simple individual offense isolated in its own uniqueness, but something incomparably more serious. By breaking the rules of the game, he has disrupted the game as such. He has, in fact, exposed it as a mere game. He has shattered the world of appearances, the fundamental pillar of the system. He has upset the power structure by tearing apart what holds it together. He has demonstrated that living a lie is living a lie. He has broken through the exalted facade of the system and exposed the real base foundations of power. He has said that the emperor is naked, and because the emperor is in fact naked, something extremely dangerous has happened. By his action, the greengrocer has addressed the world. He has enabled everyone to peer behind the curtain. He has shown everyone that it is possible to live within the truth. 
Living within the lie can constitute the system only if it is universal. The principle must embrace and permeate everything. There are no terms whatsoever on which it can coexist with living within the truth, and therefore everyone who steps out of line denies it in principle and threatens it in its entirety. Our greengrocer's attempt to live within the truth may be confined to not doing certain things. He decides not to put flags in his window when his only motive for putting them there in the first place would have been to avoid being reported by the house warden. He does not vote in elections that he considers false. He does not hide his opinions from his superiors. In other words, he may go no further than merely refusing to comply with certain demands made on him by the system, which, of course, is not an insignificant step to take. This may, however, grow into something more. The greengrocer may begin to do something concrete, something that goes beyond an immediately personal self-defensive reaction against manipulation, something that will manifest his newfound sense of higher responsibility. He may, for example, organize his fellow greengrocers to act together in defense of their interests. He may write letters to various institutions, drawing their attention to instances of disorder and injustice around him. He may seek out unofficial literature, copy it, and lend it to his friends.